Mount Greylock, situated on the extreme western edge of Massachusetts, is the highest point in the Commonwealth, standing at 3,489 feet, or by some accounts, 3,491 feet. It provides, on clear days at least, a commanding view into three states. It's one of the most hiked mountains. It prompted the formation of the earliest hiking club in America. It is on the Appalachian Trail. It, of course, is a destination for those hoping to bag the highest peaks in all 50 states. And for centuries, it has attracted and inspired some of the most famous luminaries in literature. Greylock has been the subject of countless poems and stories, both real and imagined. It is referenced either directly or indirectly by some of the most famous authors from the present and the past. In fiction, it is the site of a wizard training school. It is one inspiration for a whale, not just any whale, the whale. It has been the muse for Hawthorne, Melville, Thoreau, Bryan, Holmes, and Rowling. That attraction of such writing superstars alone makes the story of Greylock interesting and also history. The mountain has been called many things since the Europeans first arrived. In the 1700s, the first English settlers called it Grand Hoosac. Later, the name Saddleback Mountain became popular due to its saddle-like shape. Even today, one of its lower peaks still bears that name. In 1819, Greylock first appeared in print. It's not known for sure where this name originated, but one accepted story is that it was named for Gray Locke, a member of the Pocumtuck tribe. Gray Locke was born in what is today Westfield in 1670. He lived for about 80 years. In 1799, college presidents from two prestigious schools, Timothy Dwight from Yale and Ebenezer Fitch of Williams, climbed the mountain. Dwight wrote an account of their trek called Travels in New England and New York. He said Saddleback, as he called it then, is the highest land in the state. During a great part of the year, it is either embosomed or capped by clouds and indicates to the surrounding inhabitants the changes of weather with not a little exactness. By the way, his comments about it often being cloudy, a very true statement, provides a second theory as to its name. It always seems to be locked in gray. That's Hawthorne's view, anyway. President Fitch of Williams was just the first connection between the school and the peak. Probably because of its proximity, the college and the mountain have a long entwined history. In 1830, a later school president, Edward Dorr Griffin, directed students to cut a path from Hopper Road in Adams, Massachusetts, to the summit. The Hopper Trail, as it's called, is hiked by Williams students every year on Mountain Day. By the way, Mountain Day reportedly began as Chip Day, a time when students were required to rake up wood chips left over from log splitting. The chips were then used as fuel. Some of the more affluent students weren't interested in the manual labor. Instead, they paid local townsfolk to do the raking while they went off for a day of hiking. In 
Later, the school actually began closing one day a year to allow for a hike up Greylock. In 1831, a weather station called Griffin's Tower was built by students. In 1863, the Alpine Club was established, founded by a professor at the school, Albert Hopkins. The organization, which predates even the venerable Appalachian Mountain Club by 13 years, used the summit for camping. But what about its literary side? Let's start with Nathaniel Hawthorne. He is probably the first writer to visit Greylock. He made several ascents, at least one being at night. On that trip, he saw a burning lime kiln, an oven used to calcify lime and create quicklime. Its eerie appearance through the fog, it has been said, inspired his dark tale from 1844 called Ethan Brand. He also talked about Greylock in his American notebook. William Cullen Bryan, another Williams connection, he was a student there, wrote several poems about Greylock and the surrounding area. Henry David Thoreau, maybe the father or grandfather of the environmental movement, described a night on the mountain. In his book, A Week on the Concord and Merrimack Rivers, he talks of a very cold night spent keeping warm by holing up between wooden boards left over from the old Williams College Observatory. Many say this first solo trip prompted his later stay at Walden. At the beginning, I mentioned a whale, remember? Well, maybe the most important literary contribution by the mountain comes by way of Herman Melville. Some say he was the mountain's biggest fan. He lived nearby in Pittsfield. He called his house Arrowhead, named for the indigenous artifacts found at the site. He dedicated his novel Pierre to the mountain. He called it the most excellent purple majesty. He said in the dedication... In old times, authors were proud of the privilege of dedicating their works to majesty, a right noble custom which we in Berkshire must revive. He goes on to talk of the fertilization that the mountain provided to the many maples and beeches that he saw from his windows, so that it is only right that he kneel and render up his gratitude to the most excellent majesty of Greylock, hoary crown or not. That brings us to the whale. Did you know it's possible to actually see Melville's inspiration for Moby Dick? Well, in a way you can. The story of Moby Dick is actually inspired by the awful fate of the whale ship Essex. For a complete story on that, you've got to read Nathaniel Philbrick's book, In the Heart of the Sea. But the whale itself, its shape, and its mass come from something a little more enduring. In May 2007, Jonathan Kandel penned an article for Smithsonian Magazine called The Berkshires. In it, he wrote of the possibility of the mountain serving as a model. Kandel says that a 31-year-old Melville, fresh off a whaling trip, tried his hand at farming at his newly purchased Berkshire house. Out the window of his study, Melville had a clear view of the Gray Mountain. The winter landscape brought back memories of his days at sea. He, in turn, references a Melville biographer, Andrew Delbanco, who says the looming Greylock appeared as a great leviathan rising from the ocean. 
None of Melville's own letters make any reference to this phenomenon, but his friend and fellow author Nathaniel Hawthorne did write of the subject. He said that Herman Melville shaped out the gigantic conception of his whale while staring at the snow-covered mountain. In the famous novel, Melville depicts Moby Dick as a grand hooded phantom, like a snow hill in the air. Who knows, maybe the most famous great white whale still exists out there for all to see. Literary references don't end there. In fact, you'll find them right into the 21st century. In a 2016 short story by J.K. Rowling, of Harry Potter fame, she reveals that there is a wizard school in America, in fact, right here in New England. Ilva Mornay is apparently located where you'd find the war memorial on the highest point of Mount Greylock. According to the story, it was founded by a witch who arrived in the New World via the Mayflower. The witch then hid from the Puritans by building a stone house among the mists at the top of the mountain. In later years, the reader is told, the home grew into the school of wizardry, complete with its own four houses, Puckwudgie, Horned Serpent, Thunderbird, and Wampus. Local politicians in real life were thrilled and got into the act. Massachusetts governor at the time, Charlie Baker, took notice and with tongue firmly in cheek opined he believes that small businesses are the backbone of the economy, whether they are owned by witches or mortals. And because the institution has operated for nearly 400 years without incident, the administration plans to revisit the matter sometime in the next century or two. Thanks for listening. Come back next time for more Tales and Tidbits of New England as we dig out another story from Alan's Archives.